Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's guest is Kelly Mason. Kelly does a lot of things. The thing that I know her from originally, and maybe you know her for, is being a touring photographer. She's been out with a bunch of bands, most notably The Wonder Years and Neck Deep. That is how I originally met her. I don't actually remember how, but that's how I know her. I know a lot of you have questions about that, specifically about music photography, so we talk about that on the show. She's a super talented photographer, but also has a really good mind for business, and just in general, she's a very smart, analytical person, so I really like the way that she looks at things. But she is much more than just a photographer, and that's what we talk about. She's one of these people that just, I think, has the ability to excel at pretty much anything she sets her mind to. She's done a few different things. She's had corporate roles. She has made her living reselling vintage clothes on Poshmark and other places. I'm sure that if she wanted to start a car wash, she could do that too. She's just one of those people. And I always love sitting down with people like her and doing my best to figure out how their brain works and what I can learn from them. So super good conversation. Really happy to finally get her on the podcast. I had to chase her down for a while, but I'm glad I did because this one is awesome. One of my favorite episodes. So definitely check this one out. Before we get into it, as always, there are a few things that you can do to help the show if you like it. Number one, you can share it on your social media. You can share it on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or Friendster, whatever it is that you want to do. We appreciate all of it. Please tag me, tag the guest, tag Deanna. Really helps us if you can spread the word because the platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and stuff really don't do a lot to spread the word. So we really appreciate that. Number two, you can buy some merch if you're interested in that kind of thing. I just designed some new stuff that I think is pretty cool. There's a link to that in the description. And lastly, if you really, really like the show and you want to be BFFs, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the description. Patrons get access to every show a week early. There is a chance for me to review your band or your podcast or YouTube channel or your design portfolio, any other kind of project that you want to send my way and get my opinion on. I do that for all of the patrons at the $10 and up level. So if that sounds cool, check it out at the link in the description. And with that out of the way, let's get into the episode. Kelly Mason, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Finn. How's it going? Good. I've been trying to chase you down for a long time. And I finally took advantage. I said, I know that she's home. I know she's trapped. So now I will strike. You did a great job. You're very persistent. (laughs) Every time you asked, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Ah, And then I'd wait a little bit too long. And then I'm like, oh, it's passed. Oh, and then I ruined my mic. (laughs) Well, here we are. Yeah, here we are. (laughs) I appreciate you continuing to put the effort in. I'm excited to talk to you. Same. Well, there's a lot of things that I hope people will take away from this. But, you know, you have a much smarter mind for business than I think a lot of, you know, typical creative types have. So I hope that people can take away some insights there. And, you know, you're also really smart, I think, about de-risking your life. So I think that's another important thing that people could take away from it. But maybe you could start, like, what do you actually do these days? Because I know every time I talk to you, you're kind of doing a different thing. Not in an unfocused way, though. I feel like you're just smart about having your hands on a lot of different things. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm pretty good at living in the moment. Well, actually, I had a proper career job for about a year and a half. I was a creative director for a cannabis company until January. It was an interesting position to be in. I think uh, it grew, it helped me grow my um, skills a little bit more. Sorry, I feel like I'm going off into a tangent that I no, like, don't want to all. talk about. <laughs> well, it's up to you, but... No, it's cool. I, d- I do a lot of different things, so it's just hard to know where to start. I guess after I got laid off, I realized like, damn, I have this photography skill set and I'm not really doing a lot with it. I was using it to support my marketing role and you know, I was taking all of our product photos and doing a lot of graphic design and that definitely helped me level up in a lot of ways. I realized like, oh, I can like 
put together this graphic and just throw it on Instagram and people aren't going to be like, oh, you're a shitty graphic designer. Why are you even trying? It's not like that anymore. So yeah, after I got laid off from that job, I decided I wanted to pursue photography again and updated my website. And I'm a very like emotional person about my work in general. And maybe that's why I bounce around. Because you're a Sagittarius. (laughs) I'm a Scorpio. (laughs) Even worse. (laughs) But yeah, so I built my website and just, you know, tried to write some blogs about what I was knowledgeable about. And on the side, you know, I just have a lot of retail experience. So I started getting out and like thrifting. And I don't know, I just dive so deep into whatever I get into that, you know, I like got a little derailed, got super into thrifting and reselling. I bought like $1,500 worth of clothes just to build up my like closet right when I got laid off so I could, you know, build this other business. I live in the Bay Area, so I feel like you know what it's like in Seattle. You just constantly have to be thinking of ways to make money. And I just did not see photography being that lucrative. And I'm pretty good at selling stuff online. And I already had a Poshmark closet. So that was like the first couple months of this year. And I had also booked a bunch of awesome events that got canceled with uh, COVID. But see, this is a great example of how you de-risk your life. And like for a lot of people, I think they should focus more because they're just sort of all over the place and they're not really doing a good job of anything. But there are some people who are able to kind of have their hands in a lot of things in a way that makes a lot of sense, just like it did for you. So it's like, okay, these uh, events got canceled. That's a bummer. But that just means I scale up these other things that I'm doing. Totally. Like I can't be that bummed about all my work disappearing. I mean, I can. But for one, everyone's going through it right now. And two, where's it going to get me if I'm just sad about my like, disappeared photography career. And also, that's not really a healthy way to think about it. There's a there's a future. And I think that there's lots of ways to leverage the internet to make the most of your specific skill sets. And it's definitely a matter of figuring out what you as a person are good at and not what like Finn McKenty is good at mm-hmm. and then trying to do exactly what you do. It's taking these little pieces of advice from somebody like you and trying to apply that to like, what do you already have experience in? I got a business degree from UW and I had a retail focus and I worked for Zoomies for five years. I just had like a ton of like clothing knowledge mm-hmm. and I was always a little ashamed of that. You know, you worked for yep. Abercrombie and yep. yeah, it's a very uh, useful skill to have these days, you know, like you could just whip up a shirt really quick and sure. sell it and don't have to hire somebody to do it for you. And it's weird because it seems like that is an easy thing to do, like doing a, sh- a, a simple shirt graphic, but it's totally not. It's definitely not. I remember when I first started using Photoshop, I was like, how do you make a layout? Honestly, I was like 12 trying to make yeah. a guild layout for my Neopet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you figure it out. If you like want to do something in Photoshop, you just Google the thing that you're trying to do and then you piece it together and do that thousands and thousands of times over 10 years and you're suddenly a master. Well, it's interesting to me that you would say that. It seems very kind of obvious to me because any piece of information that you could possibly want about how to do anything is out there for either free or super cheap. And it just kind of baffles me. And I'm not trying to get up on my high horse or anything. I just literally don't understand why people don't take advantage of that. Like if you just how to do X, you'll find like a million results and people don't do it. I always wonder about that, too, because I definitely have been that person. It took me a long time to realize, oh, everything's on YouTube. I think maybe it's coming from like an institutionalized educational background of like it could a, be. Teacher. a teacher teaches me everything. A professor professor teaches me right. everything. I get my info from like scientific papers. You know, you have this like established like, I don't know, sense of where you can learn information. And I think YouTube just never was that thing. And then I realized like, oh my God, that is totally wrong way to think about (laughs) this. (laughs) Especially with creative things. Like I I definitely deprived my creative self for a long time with my like business mindedness. What do you mean by that? Like it boxed you in in certain ways or? I just never thought that I could make a career being a creative. I just was like, music photography is always going to be on the side. I'm just going to do all this because I'm passionate about it. I don't really care about making money. I just want to like be good and make friends and find good bands and support those bands. That was like what really got me started was going to local shows and like finding all these like 
undiscovered uh-huh. gems and then talking about them. Again, I think you have a similar experience. Yep. I just have always gone with the flow for better and for worse, I think. <laughs> well, you seem to always be up to something promising. Hmm. I'm glad it appears that way. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely get super into one thing at a time. And then I'm like, this is my thing now. And then after like three weeks straight of not thinking about anything but that thing, I just burn out, hit a wall and then like have the worst emotional week of my life. And then I like level out. But yeah, that that's something I really struggle with. And uh, with this bracket thing I've been doing, too, I, I went through that. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. So tell everybody what that was and kind of what you're doing with it now. So I made all these like March Madness brackets for mid 2000s emo bands. I've made like 30 of them now covering all sorts of topics and put them on Instagram and I put them on Instagram. They're in my Instagram stories. I did it because, well, for one, I saw a mid 2000s emo bracket going around that had a bunch of bands that weren't part of that era. And I was like, dang, I really want to make my own. I know Photoshop. I can probably do this. So a few weeks later, I was on Facebook fighting with somebody I went to high school with about whether <laughs> Good or not use of your time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's some girl. Never mind. I'm not going to go into that. I was just like, well, Alicia, them. you are so wrong. They're not an emo band. They're pop punk. <laughs> More like the earth is not flat. Can we have this conversation? Oh, no. OK. I see. Yeah. So I would realize that that energy was very poorly spent, like, going back and forth with this person and I have this project that I knew I needed to work on and it felt like the right time to channel my energy into something. So I just opened up Photoshop and spent eight hours making the first mid-2000s emo bands bracket. And I posted it. I see. I did not know what March Madness really even was. <laughs> I just. I was like, oh, basketball, yeah. I guess, uses this, but whatever. I'm just going to put my favorite bands in here and I'm going to put them against each other. So it was emotionally seated. And then uh, after like 12 hours or maybe the next day it blew up, like Halsey posted it. And oh, wow. Somebody from Five Seconds of Summer posted it and like Machine Gun Kelly maybe. I couldn't even keep up. I was so confused about what was going on with my account that I like, couldn't. I didn't realize it got reposted like at that level. Yeah, just the first one, which is hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, that was a wild time. I was really just... I was at like 9,500 followers and I wanted 10K so I could uh-huh. have to swipe up yeah. in my stories. And then, you know, I got like 3,000 followers from it. So now I can swipe up. <laughs> I can make you swipe up. Well, it, I mean, that just kind of goes to show that all you need is one kind of hit to get that inflection point And every piece of content that you put out is a potential hit. Totally. And it was really interesting because I'd never really thought of any content in the way that I thought about this content. Like I put so much of myself into it in a way that is hard to with photography. And especially the stuff you do is sort of fundamentally inherently not about you. Exactly. So it's actually kind of nice that I can use my own taste to like build these brackets and create this emotional reaction within the culture. It was very overwhelming and awesome to see. And I felt like the conversation in general shifted to like talking nostalgically about music. And I don't know if I'm part of that, but it felt like a turning point. And yeah, it's just been a, a great little thing to keep me occupied through quarantine. The thing that I think is really interesting about this, so I don't know if I talked to you about this, but I've been doing this like uh, doing some like coaching program for social media with people. And one of the pieces of that that I'm working with people on is kind of doing something along the lines of that of I'm calling it a like magnet, which is a thing that you can put out that, you know, every time will get, you know, solid engagement and build your audience and followers. And it's not going to be the deepest relationships with those people you know just like the three thousand people you got overnight they don't know who you are they don't know anything about you but they're already unfollowing me (laughs) yeah but but that's okay it's part of the process you got some new people and then once you bring them in now you have to build a relationship with them and help them get to know you all that stuff but that like magnet is a thing that's really hard for people to find and one of the kind of templates for that is talking about something bigger than yourself for example a genre of music or a sport or a hobby or history or something like that. And just showing that you have that shared connection of we both have roots in this same thing is enough for people to connect with you. 
Yeah, and it's awesome. I feel like I've been talking to so many different people outside of the scope of who I normally communicate with on the internet. You know, it's usually like photographers or people kind of within that circle. And now it's like beyond that, it's music fans. It's nice. It feels less like uh, my content is serving my peers and more Mm -hmm. like it's serving like a wider audience. And that's really helpful for me because I just have a really hard time with the narcissistic nature of social media in general. So yeah. Right. Well, you know, that's a tough thing for people is like, it says good things about you as a human if you don't want to promote yourself, but it holds you back. Yeah. And you also, know? like, there's something self serving and making excuses, right? Like, I don't know. So many people have no reservations with just putting themselves out there. And pe- I don't judge those people. I'm right. like, hell yeah, you do you. But when I think about myself in that position, I'm like, oh, everybody hates me. I think that I am bragging. Like, I'm bad at being emotional on the internet. So it's hard for me to be like, I appreciate you without coming Uh off. Like, I'm insincere. So, yeah, there's just... Fear of judgment. Fear of judgment, yeah. I mean, I think that's fostered through uh, being on the internet from when it was, like, a very toxic place to... Do you think it's less toxic now? Because I do. Oh, absolutely. People are actually, like learning etiquette in school right yeah and like parent like parents are becoming an age where they understand like what is actually happening with social media like when i was first on myspace or live journal or whatever my mom didn't even understand that that stuff was happening now there's just more of an awareness of like that world in general and there was some nasty shit on live journal oh yeah like kids just being absolutely hateful to each other Oh, damn. I guess I didn't really, I don't know if I really tapped into that part of LiveJournal. Uh, I was in the Thrice community, (laughs) and then there was a t-shirt surgery community. That's all I remember. And then also uh, divulging way too much personal information about my teenage uh, Uh affairs. (laughs) And now the the Russians own LiveJournal. Oh, they do? Yeah, it's good. Fun fact. There, I did I think not there's know a reply that. all episode about that. <laughs> well, let's talk about photography for a minute because that's sort of how I know you. But it's interesting. Well, first of all, let's talk about the music photography thing because I think people, I know people will be interested in that. A lot of people ask me about it. So, how did you kind of get into that? What was your breakthrough there to sort of put you on the, I guess, you know, in that like top tier kind of level? Dang, timing. <laughs> uh huh. I mean, I got into it in 2000. Five, I think I was trying to think about my origin story because it's another one of those organic things as I was growing up my grandpa and everybody gave me cameras as gifts I started getting into photography casually I ended up getting a point-and-shoot camera and at the same time got into local music went to an Aiden show and uh-huh. was so blown I know right <laughs> was so blown away by that performance I'd never seen somebody with stage presence like that in my life and like guy wearing like pink makeup and like it was just such a look and I was like I must take so many photos of this person and I think that unlocked kind of a an aha moment for me you know I, I kept going to local shows and meeting local bands and I decided like I needed to do something with these photos. So I started like 15 or 16 then something like that. Yeah. As a sophomore in high school, when I first started my music blog, I had a blog to like, you know, post news about all these bands Mm -hmm. that I liked and review their albums and interview them and share my photography. And I didn't even really care as much about the photography at first. I was more into the writing and just like, listen to this band people like they're so sick have you ever heard anything like this like i don't know (laughs) i was stoked (laughs) so i actually like dated someone who owned a record label in seattle and i think that connection kind of opened up my world to other options and i ended up buying an slr after i don't know god there's just like so many little details the, like oh one thing leads to another uh-huh. thing and that opens up this crazy rabbit hole and but that's how it works right it's not like you had some master plan no you just kind of like follow what feels right in the moment okay actually here's how i got my first camera through our website we established this relationship with this band tyson do you remember them uh tony so. d'angelo was in the was in tyson and holyfield vision and valor go ahead roundabout there was like five bands okay that, he was in in like the mid 2000s very like popular in the scene okay i missed those somehow yeah probably because you know you were like 25 (laughs) so my friends and i who had this website would sell 100 tickets at a time for this band to to their showbox shows 
and they would give us $2 per ticket. And we ended up saving up like 500 bucks. And I asked my mom to pitch in the rest so I could buy an SLR. And I was kind of a douche and didn't ask anyone from the website if I could buy a camera. I just did it. Uh-huh. <laughs> we got through that. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wish people could see your face. Not looking at yeah. you. <laughs> looking away indicates guilt and shame. <laughs> ah, It's okay. You have to learn somehow. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I got my SLR through like selling tickets for local bands and uh, just kept shooting. I went to college. Uh, I thought, you know, after high school, like my music hobbies were probably just not going to go anywhere. But I went to UW and kept trying to go to local shows as much as I could. It was right down the street from El Corazon. So it was super easy to just go to shows three times a week and focus on school as minimally as possible. So I could focus on Mm -hmm. my passion. (laughs) And then yeah, towards the end of college, I was like, I'm delusional, I should just get a business degree and go work do the business thing that they say I'm supposed to do. So that was the end of the beginning era, I uh-huh. guess. I would say that posting my work on Flickr was like a really big turning, not turning point, but super beneficial. And this would be around like 2009 or 10? That was still like 2008. Yeah, still pretty early on. So that's like prime Flickr. Prime Flickr, yes. Which people, like it's scary to say that some people listening to this might be too young to have really remembered that, but Flickr was like a huge photography community at that time in the way that like Instagram would be now. Sure. It felt a lot more tight-knit and like you could really express yourself. And it was before you really understood that there was a person on the other side of the other keyboards, you know, like all of these comments from people are written by people. Mm -hmm. But I would see them and be like, I don't know. I I just like had no concept of like anything outside of myself or something. And yeah, so that was really helpful in expressing myself in embarrassing ways. But then once I started using keywords, people would repost from Flickr to Tumblr. Mm -hmm. And so and so that was like, what was that 2010 when Tumblr was really popping popping off? Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, somebody like posted my like therefore tomorrow photos or I was like experimenting with hashtags and woke up one morning and suddenly had a bunch of followers and reblogs and uh-huh. was like, whoa, <laughs> people search for these band names and like band guys. Names. Right. <laughs> like these like, I don't know, fans just want to repost. And um, yeah, so Tumblr, I would say, is a big part of why I like was able to establish myself as a music photographer in the first place. And what did that lead to? What did Tumblr lead to? Depression? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> Dark. <laughs> well, I graduated college and I started working in marketing for Zoomies. I booked the bands for our summer tour. We had this tour called Couch Tour. It set up in mall parking lots. There were like 12 shows a summer and it'd have two bands and then... and or a pro skate team, and it was like this free event, and it was all over the country. So I worked for Zoomies, helping book that for like two years, among other things. And Sorry, I'm really bad at telling stories. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's okay. Yeah, and then I was like, wow, I don't want to work for a corporation. This really sucks. I make $26,000 a year with a marketing degree, working in marketing in a time when I should be making like 40. So yeah, I think I just was sick of donating my skills to a corporation and realized that I would much rather struggle through life for the next 10 years figuring out how to do what I want to do than do whatever a corporation wants me to do. Make someone else rich. Exactly. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's also, I mean, getting corporate experience is so helpful. If you can like wrap your mind around how those systems work and apply them to your own business, I think that's a really positive takeaway. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I'm really glad that I like from working for Abercrombie and I worked with Procter and Gamble a bunch who make like Swiffer and Febreze and Tide and all that stuff. I learned so much about how to do things the right way. You're just not going to learn that on your own. And you can tell the difference between not to say that everyone who came up on their own and doesn't have corporate experience is not like they're all idiots or something like that. But, you know, there are times where you can kind of see like, oh, the way this person does something like he or she just nobody's ever explained like this is how you do it the right way. Right, right. You got to learn the rules before yeah. you break. So there is there is a lot to be said for that. 
The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I do like this. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. Like, I think of you as like a touring photographer, but that's not actually... Well, I haven't told any stories about touring yet. Yeah, and, and so what... Well, no, but that's interesting because my point there is that that's really only one kind of facet of what you have done and kind of maybe not even the biggest one. I guess you're right. I just remembered that my Zoomy story ends with me meeting Adam L. Macias at Bamboozle. Oh, yeah, I was an intern when I first started at Zoomies, and I wasn't supposed to go to Bamboozle, but my coworker was on house arrest and couldn't leave the state. <laughs> so I got to go to New Jersey, and all these photographers I admired were there, and Adam was at a tent nearby, and I just like went and introduced myself, and we became friends over the weekend, and then I started helping him uh, write copy for his website. I was editing interviews for him within a couple of weeks. And am I that boring, Finn? I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> and I kind of like forced my way into helping him because I was like, dude, you have all these skills, but you know, you have a couple of things to work on that I can really help you with. Mm-hmm. So I ended up working with him for four years, doing pretty much anything under the sun from licensing images to agencies to writing all the copy to designing all of his merchandise. And then uh, we got to a point where we took that merchandise on tour. So we went on Warp Tour 2015. That was my first non-Zoomies Couch Tour tour. So I did do the Zoomies Couch Tour and and like that was my that was part of my corporate experience. Mm-hmm. But Warp Tour was my first real tour. I was a merch person. I like you know, got up at seven o'clock every morning, went and got my stuff off the truck, set up and sold all day and was, you know, among the the last people to break down at the end of the yep. day. So it's well, like the hardest job of my life. <laughs> there's a common thread here, though, that you've just continually created these opportunities for yourself by just putting yourself out there, whether that's, you know, your website when you were in high school you know, going to shows, talking to people, you know, blogging Adam, all these different times, like, you're not going to get these opportunities if you don't go find them. They're not just going to come to you. Yeah, exactly. 
And I felt like music photography was a really great way to network at first because I could take some photos and then I could go seek out the people in the band later and be like, check out this cool photo I took of you. You have a reason and to talk to them. Exactly. So there's like a social crutch there that was really helpful. I'm so awkward in general and I would always just lean into just being uncomfortable. Like if you feel uncomfortable, that's okay. That's good, right? You're pushing yourself if you feel like that. Like I've felt uncomfortable <laughs> coming on this podcast, <laughs> but now I feel less uncomfortable. <laughs> good. Yeah, I feel great. So you did that for a while and you stopped doing a lot of the, and well, what was kind of the peak of the music photography stuff? Well, after Warped, Neck Deep took me on tour in 2016 and they like needed a photographer, just a photographer. And I'd never toured as anything other than like production, blah, 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 all the things. So I didn't tell them I've never uh-huh. toured as a photographer and just went for it in a few weeks. And they're like, wait, this is your first time? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's cool, right? No worries. And they're like, you're doing great. Oh my God. <laughs> so that, that was nice. I think I also toured with the Wonder Years for the first time that year, <laughs> which it's another story of like, I met the Wonder Years through Zoomies. They did an event with us. I was like, you guys are so awesome. I need to be around people like you all the time. And they had a photographer at the time, but... You know, I kept in touch with them and I always dropped that little seed uh-huh. like, hey, if you need a photographer, hit me up. And they're like, Kelly, we have Mitch. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and literally five years later, I ended up living with the drummer and uh, he asked me if I wanted to go on tour with them. So that's just, yeah, another one of those like, okay, put lots of work into mm-hmm. putting yourself out there and things will happen eventually. And patience too. I mean, you're saying... The Neck Deep Tour was 2016. You started taking photos like 10 years before that. For sure. That's a long fucking time. That's super true. I never really had a goal to tour. I never thought I could as a woman, to be honest. It, we just I grew up in a time when nobody looked like me. And I yeah. just kind of like did my own thing. And I've always just I've always tried to do what other people aren't doing. It's just naturally how my brain works. I'm like, yeah, that's that's already done. What can we how can we make it a little bit different. So I, I've always said that I hope that I can tour like once a year forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a hard balance because if you are touring with a band, they probably want to work with you continually and not just like bring you out here and then let you do your thing. And then maybe over here, they'll bring you back. So yeah, I got lucky in that way with Neck Deep and the Wonder Years, I guess. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people would say, oh, wow, you worked with these big bands. Now you're in the club, you can take that and keep moving up the ladder like, you know, Adam has with working with Diplo and shit, but yeah. but you didn't. You kind of pulled back from it. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm very sensitive. I know I've said that a couple times, but being on a bus is hard. It's great when you're with the right people, but being on a bus as a photographer, it's just something that I haven't fully gotten used to the feeling of yet. And I, I think I just have some weird issues with feeling like my work is always shitty. So Mm -hmm. I have this constant like feeling that I'm not good enough to like continue to try to tour despite the fact that I do I've toured and like have proven myself to myself. Um, And I also kind of feel like I have more to offer the world than just being a tour photographer. Like I love that. And I like I said, I would do that once a year forever if I could. But I just feel called to do something bigger and like inspire other people to take control of their creative businesses and not feel trapped by their circumstances. I certainly agree with that. Yeah. You really put the work in. (laughs) Sometimes too much, for sure. Balance is hard. (laughs) It's super hard because on the one hand, I go, well, I have these opportunities that are kind of within my grasp and I would be stupid not to do everything I can to make the most of those opportunities. On the other hand, you just, there are limits and you will just fall apart if you keep your foot on the gas for too long. Yeah. And when you're just good at things, like you have a lot of options. So you really have to prioritize your life and figure out what your personal goals are and try not to just be like, okay, what does my audience want? Is that I just need to serve my audience. Like, well, you need to serve yourself too. And that's something I really learned with brackets is when I make a bracket with music I don't know, I don't, I just want to quit. I'm like, I never want to make another bracket. <laughs> uh-huh. like, okay, if I just keep working on the like topics that I really enjoy, like I put out a Cartoon Network one the other day and it was really fun to research and um, I, I liked putting it together. I, I just 
I'm trying to lean into those feelings more and just making sure that I'm staying true to myself too and not just trying to make people happy. Tell me more about that because that's definitely something I have been thinking a lot about recently. Just like serving yourself and your audience? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think it's a constant struggle. I feel like you could put like a little bit more personal information out there. Like who's Finn? Like give a little intro. Like we know that you know so much about music and you can, you're, you have such a great analytical mind, but like, it'd be nice to know like what you're like outside of this because you know, like you're really good at what you do to everyone who sees what you do. But like, what, what do you struggle with? Like, what are the things that make you more human? Um, I think that part, that's really hard for me to share because I just, I don't know, maybe being a photographer makes me a perfectionist. I always just want the image to be perfect, but that's not really the tone of the internet anymore. I think people no, don't like that. Yeah, I think you just posted a video about this, how you did like a stream of consciousness style, like podcast or video, and it got way more views than or listens than something that you've heavily produced, right? Oh, I mean, that's that's happened all the time. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that too, that there's some things that you kind of just quickly barf this thing out and <laughs> people like go ape shit for it. For sure. And you're like, really? That one? All right. And then this other thing, you kill yourself to make it the best you possibly can and nobody cares. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast. It's so true. It's so true. Well, my thing is like, I'm not scared of like showing imperfection. I just don't feel like anybody would care. Hmm. Yeah, I would care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't mean nobody, but... You know, 15% of your women audience. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <sighs> That's kind of the source of it for me is I just feel like, well, who would care? But on the other hand, I know that what you're saying is true. And to play the long game, you know, you do have to put yourself into it because it, there's other channels. Like there's this channel called Company Man that does sort of like, I don't know, sort of short company histories of like companies like Olive Garden or whatever. And I think he does a pretty good job, but his face is never in the videos. I don't know a single thing about him. Hmm. And I think that's a miss on his part because where is this going? Like he, I mean, his videos get, you know, some of them have a couple million views. Like it's a big channel, Damn. but he's really missing an opportunity to build his own personal brand there that he could then turn into some other opportunity Hmm. because like literally nobody knows who he is. And so he's not, he's not getting credit for what he's done. Hmm. But is he not, I mean, if he has a couple million views, wouldn't you say he's successful in that strategy? Oh, for sure. But I'm saying to what end? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, I I also think about it. I think about people who build businesses and never put their name on it at all. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like so removed from them and it blows up. And it's just like, I built a Facebook business selling shirts, whatever. I sold 3000 shirts and now I don't have to work this year. Yeah. Like, is that the goal? Or are we really trying to build our personal brands? Like maybe that guy just wants to talk about companies and doesn't care about showing his face. Oh, I, I'm sure that's the case. But to me, like just like you're telling me that I should put more of myself in there, that's what I would tell him is like, I'm sure that that's true. But like you have to put yourself in there or else you're really missing the opportunity to like ride this wave into whatever the next thing is because, you know, YouTube's not going to last forever. Yeah. You know, we, I think everyone always has has to be thinking about what's next, even if the thing you're doing now is going great. Like, if you're not thinking about what's next, you're going to get surprised in a bad way. That's super true. Yeah. I mostly think about it like you kind of have to be all or nothing. You have to decide that you're not going to be, your person is not going to be a part of your brand. Or if you're going to put your face out there, you kind of have to be willing to share more because of that human connection. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that there's some interesting psychology there because people that don't put their face or anything about themselves and their businesses can still be wildly successful and accomplish all their goals. You know, everybody's different. Do you know who Sarah Dietschy is? I don't know. She does a lot of, you might've seen her. She does a lot of like photography and video editing kind of stuff on YouTube. She does a lot of, um, she's like kind of like Peter McKinnon type stuff. She does such a good job of putting her personal life in there. It's like, she's the masterful job of that. Like, in a way that never feels like forced or like it's never Hmm. a distraction. It's never like, shut up, Sarah. Why are you talking about like, it just feels totally right that she's showing you their new apartment before she does a review of the new iPad. (laughs) You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I always admire people who can do that. And that's so smart because now it's like you like her. Exactly. It's not just like, tell me about the iPad. Like you want to know more about Sarah and that is what will create the biggest potential opportunities for her. Yeah, that's so true. I, yeah, that's such a struggle for me. Some people are just really good at like sharing what they're feeling. And I think that is really what it comes down to is like, okay, this person is like letting me into her life, telling me how she feels about it. And there's like this whole story that's happening. And yeah, it's re- it's relatable, but I, can't, I like can't do that. But you should. I, I know. I just have a really hard time with it. And like, I know concrete things like business concepts and uh, things that work for me. But I also, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I just have such a hard time. Like I said, self-aggrandizement that's hard yeah well i mean that's that's uh, again that says good things about you as a human the thing that for me is frustrating about like i make myself angry sometimes by being so stupid every time i do share sort of more personal stuff i get super positive feedback on it so all the indications are that i should do more of it and yet i tell myself that i shouldn't like yet i tell oh nobody will care so interesting it's because you like have this knowledge. Like I know that I can analyze these things and like present to you this nice argument. Yeah. Whereas my life is just my life. So right. Here but it if is. it was anybody else, I'd be like, "Dude, are you stupid? Look, every time you talk about this stuff, people love it. You should do more of it. Quit. Super true. Quit being so dumb. But it's it's like it's so easy to tell other people what to do and so hard to take your own advice. It's that's very true. <laughs> Also, practicing not calling yourself bad names is really good for your mental health. So oh, I'm just joking stupid. about that part. <laughs> I do it too, though. I'm always yeah. like, fucking idiot. Wait, why did I just say that to myself? <laughs> like, that part doesn't make me feel bad, but you're right. It is a good practice in general. You have kind of this similar thing that I do. I think you have almost like a uh, love-hate might not be the right word for it, but maybe a push-pull relationship with like creativity as your profession. Like, clearly you're capable of it because you've done it and you're good at it. But, you know, you've said a bunch of stories about times where you're like, yeah, but I felt like I shouldn't or like that was dumb or like that wasn't feasible. Tell me about that. Yeah. Just my constant uncertainty. <laughs> yeah. Because you have such a pragmatic mind also. It's it's not like you, I don't think you lack confidence or that you are like wishy-washy or something. I think that you just you have a pragmatic, you know, business kind of mind and you're just looking at it from that perspective of like, well, I probably really shouldn't go in all in on this cuz that's not great for the following reasons. Yeah. And I've done the same thing of like going back and forth of like, don't be dumb, you should do this, you know it'll work, and then on the other hand going, yeah, but pragmatically I should hedge my bet and do this as well or instead. Yeah. Man, I'm just such a like I said, like such a go with a flow person that I think that like, even though it does seem like everything I do is calculated, it's because I only choose to dive down rabbit holes that I know, like, fit within this box that, like, satisfies my desires. What is, the, what is the box? I don't know. It depends. Like, I got really into astrology, and I didn't expect that. I was, <laughs> like, doing all this self-discovery, taking all these personality tests, researching why they're bullshit, being convinced that they're uh-huh. bullshit, got into astrology, and then I was like, oh, no, there's nothing compelling against this. Holy shit. Oh, Isn't wow. It, what it's, is- it's terrible how accurate that stuff is. It is. It definitely uh, can be really helpful, but also like, very harmful Yeah. if you're constantly living your life based on, like, what the stars are telling you it's really it's a little too far but yeah as far as like I think that my mind I'm just trying to like think about like what really makes me decide to pursue something and like with the case of like reselling I knew I could make a lot of money quickly and unfortunately being broke motivates me more than pretty much anything else i've never had a lot of money i've always been scrappy you know what it's like i watched your Uh i watched your income video i was like hell yeah you didn't figure your shit out zero dollars i'm 31 (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that was an awesome video it's it's really uh awesome for you to show that like you can make a lot of money this year and then no money the next year and it doesn't matter really doesn't yeah it's unfortunate though that in this society that money really does need to be top of mind for most of us and that's kind of what has guided a lot of my decisions 
in the meantime, I'm on unemployment now, so I can kind of just pursue whatever creative endeavor I want. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> no guilt. <laughs> yeah, so I put reselling on the back burner for now just so I can like focus on creative things and mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you go to college? You went to college. Mm-hmm. You talked about that in that yep. in, in your video. I originally went for graphic design and then I switched halfway through and ended up uh, with a degree in management and marketing. Nice. Okay. Sweet. Same shit, basically. Yeah, exactly. I actually um, always think about how graphic designers make the best photographers. All of my graphic design Mm. friends are the best editors. Like, they... understanding of color theory or yep. something something's going on there that makes all of my friends who have that specific piece of formal education really like next level i'm glad that i went to school for design because i, I was kind of self-taught before that and i was i was okay but i was missing a lot of the fundamentals like a lot of self-taught people don't have good fundamentals yeah me. <laughs> yeah, it's common. I mean, because it's learning that stuff is boring and it's tedious and you're probably not going to do it unless some, you know, someone else forces you to learn it. My whole first year of college, like everything I did was like paper and paint, like having to like paint chips of paper on like grayscale, like 12 different shades of gray going from like 5% or whatever it was, 15, oh. you know, to like 100% just to like develop a sensitivity for like the difference in value between 20% and 25% gray. Whoa, that's which, awesome. <laughs> which is super tedious and it seemed so stupid at the time, but in hindsight, it was like probably the most valuable kind of thing I've ever done. Right. I mean, it's all the like bullshit little details that really make that education worth it because you're not going to go like buy, I mean, maybe you'll buy a textbook and read through it or something, but, but not. it's not the same as an expert teaching yeah. you and drilling well, that shit into your head. And, and I think the thing that we both have, and we probably know a lot of people like this is the, there's a guy named Scott Adams who created Dilbert that came up with this uh, idea of a talent stack where you may not necessarily be the best at any one of the things you know how to do, but you have a combination of skills that enables you to do something that not very many other people can do. And that's not the same as being like a jack of all trades. It's more about like being good enough at, a, at at all the pieces of this thing. For example, reselling, like you need to understand business well enough to like make the numbers work. Mm-hmm. You need to understand like how to make a decent storefront. You need to yeah, understand take photos, take yeah, measurements. Exactly. That all that stuff. It. So, and, and, you could be the best in the world at any one of those things and still not be able to do what you do. You have to have that whole talent stack. Yeah. And honestly, I don't think it is. I don't think it's innate. Like I was really bad at reselling when I first started in 2014, but now it's been seven years and I've figured out over time what sells, what doesn't. And I don't know, maybe I have an addictive personality and that's really what this comes down to is just like, I got to I got to finish the thing that I start. I don't know what the, I don't know when the finish is, but I got to get there. I have that mindset about pretty much everything. So that's why I can spend eight hours working on one thing and finish it in one go, but then also apply that to like starting something and then never knowing when it is done. How can you know when anything is done though? I don't know. With Poshmark, I just hate it now. (laughs) So I think if you have those feelings, then that's a pretty good indicator. But you're right, like there's no finish point. There's no finishing point. And I have that problem when I'm on social media too. I'm like, I need to know what everyone's thinking right now, what everyone's going through. I'm not like actively saying that, but I think that's what my brain is doing. We're scrolling and trying to get to an end point that doesn't exist. And that's when my brain breaks. So, and I think maybe if I'm able to conquer that a little bit more effectively, maybe I can create more and put myself out there more because I'm not just inundated with other people doing things better than I can, than I'm perceiving that I can, I guess. Yeah, or, or they've created the perception that they're doing it better than you are. That's super true too. <laughs> There's another thing there that I wanted to ask you about because you've, you've done a lot of these things and you've, you've achieved success in a lot of them to, to the point where you've probably done, I don't know, three or four different things that other people that that's like their whole life goal is to do this thing. And you've done like three or four of them and you're like, eh, you know what? Never mind. I want to do something else. That's a funny way to put it. <laughs> well, but it's true, right? I mean, like people go, oh, all I want to, I would just die if I could go on tour with one of these bands and be a photographer, music photographer. And you did it and you're like, all right, this is cool. But 
you know, or man, all I want to do is just resell clothes. This is amazing. You did that. But, but. <laughs> and, and I don't think that's because you are um, flaky or something like that. What I wanted to ask about is like, because I've had similar moments where like you get to what you thought was the top of the mountain mm. and you thought and like, oh, I'm going to get, mountain. yeah, I thought, oh, I'm going to get here and then I'll go, oh, I made it. I can chill. And then you get there and you're like, all right, that's cool, but I don't feel any different than before. <laughs> I still feel the void. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, before you feel a sense of like completion with the thing, you're already climbing another mountain. Right. And I go back and forth on whether that's healthy or not. Oh, well, I don't know if it's always healthy or always unhealthy. Sometimes like I... No, it has to be one or the other. Everything has to be A or B. Oh, yeah. I forgot the internet works like that. Ah. (laughs) That's how my brain works, which is another (laughs) thing I try to work on is like, you know, being a little less rigid. It's okay. I think, I mean, as I was saying before, I think having that personality is what makes you thrive in like the internet world. It's like, you're really just good at (laughs) doing this one thing and like sticking with it forever. It's hard to do that. Like, serious props for starting your channel and just like continuing it to where you're at today. It's really inspirational but then on the other hand you see people that are still doing this thing and you're kind of going man you should probably think about the next thing yeah maybe people just don't constantly think about self-improvement the way that we do i don't know maybe they're more relaxed happy people (laughs) yeah probably (laughs) they don't feel like something's missing all the time yeah i don't know i think uh i have this thing where I like really love people but I also get really overwhelmed by people so if I can like put myself in a position where I can like access a lot of people while while also like keeping myself Mm -hmm. like closed off that's like the best of both worlds yeah as far as uh feeling like there's constantly another mountain to climb I think that's just going to be like a lifelong thing for people like us and you just have to accept it and maybe try to like reflect a little bit more and appreciate like what you've what you've made and journaling is really helpful I've started trying to do that more often and um I don't know I always felt guilty for reflecting on the past what's the point and talking about shit that's already happened who cares right I still feel that way I know that that's wrong but that's just how I feel (laughs) to me the past is like you know, after you unwrap your Christmas presents and there's all just the wrapping paper and boxes and shit, I'm like, okay, just get rid of that. We don't need that anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a balance there. <laughs> yeah, no, no dwelling on the past for sure. But acknowledging that you do awesome things and like giving yourself a pat on the back every once in a while, maybe that will help with the never-ending need to climb more mountains. Yeah, I've been feeling recently, I mean, I, I'm incredibly grateful for everything that, you know, I'm doing now, it's awesome. And I'm really happy with it. But I'm also sometimes kind of feeling like, what, like, what, like, where am I going with this? Hmm. Do you know, do you have like goals for all of your channels? And yeah, yeah. So like, you know, what I would like to be doing full time in another maybe two years or so is doing like uh, the social media coaching stuff, helping individuals or companies tell their story. You know, for example, like my kind of, uh, do you know who Grant Cardone is? No, I don't know who anyone is, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's one of these like business influencer type people. He's crazy, but he also is right about a lot of stuff. And his whole thing is like 10x thinking. So like, think about like, whatever you're doing, like how how could you how could you 10x that instead of just like, make it 1% better? How do you make it 10 times better or, or achieve 10 times more? Not in a way of like, to say that that's not good enough. It's just like, oftentimes it doesn't really take more effort to achieve 10x results than like a 10% more result. It's just about what goal do you tell yourself? Like if you went on tour with Rihanna, would that be any more work than being on tour with the Wonder Years? Maybe a little bit, hmm. but, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but maybe not. Who knows? You know? Yeah, I definitely have like a weird complex about working with artists that I deem too good for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I would love to work with Halsey, but like shit, I'm not going to work with Halsey. But then, you know, why I not? also toured with I toured with Paris, like I uh I don't know. I don't know why not. <laughs> right, exactly. 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 So that's what I've been trying to like work on and so like my 10x goal is like I want somebody like Amazon because I'm a fan of Amazon. Amazon Web Services is terrible at telling their story. It is a company that has absolutely transformed 
our entire way of life because they are the biggest cloud computing provider and everything that we do now basically runs on cloud computing. They're terrible at telling that story. I want them to pay me a million dollars to help them tell me how to tell that story. <laughs> do you think they want to tell that story? Yeah. Well, if they don't, they really? should. I mean, do you think the attitude about Amazon is at a point where people care about their story? <laughs> AWS is, they have no choice. The story is there. It is what it is. You know what I mean? That's the whole thing is you don't have a choice but to tell the truth and to be yourself. It just is what it is. I think Amazon Web Services is great. I think people should consider other consumer shopping. But it's not consumer shopping. It's, it's, it's just like Netflix runs on AWS. Uh, yeah, and like LinkedIn. Everything and all- does. Everything does. Yeah. Like AWS and Azure. I mean, I'll tell the Azure story too, whatever. But anyway, anyone's individual feelings about AWS aside, my point is like that is my 10x goal. That's what I'd like to do in like a couple years. I, I want someone like that to pay me a million dollars to help them tell their story in the way that it needs to be told. Hell yeah. And at first I thought that was like, I was like, all right, well, I'll set this crazy goal. But then instantly I was like, but that's not crazy. Like them paying me a million dollars, considering that Amazon, like AWS makes something like, I don't know, $7 billion a quarter. Holy shit. If I was to help them just make the tiniest difference in their business to pay me a million dollars for that would be like the easiest check in the world to write. Right. That's crazy. That's like when we met when I was with the Wonder Years and you were like, yeah, you could just probably, you know, pitch a project to Microsoft for $150,000. Yeah. They need creative content producers. So just be that person. Exactly. Someone's got to do it. And, (laughs) And as soon as you say something like that, it instantly becomes like way more true and real than it did like before you said it. You know what I mean? It's just all about like, where do you define the limits of your options to be? Hmm. It's very interesting. 10x thinking. I feel like it's so hard when you're really in it to even like let your brain get to that point. If you have a system for doing the thing, then like, why would you, why would you change it up? But especially for people like us who are like very pragmatic And the reason why we're able to do what we do is we're the people that say like, all right, well, hang on a minute. Did you think about this and this and this and this and this and this and this? No, you didn't. So so step aside. Let me take care of this. Yeah, exactly. It's not even like from a self-serving place. It's more like, hey, I think I can help you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like, I, just let me fix this. Yeah, (laughs) this is really bothering me. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good skill to have. I think most people don't really fully think about other people. Everyone's so wrapped up in themselves and like, you know, just anything you're thinking. Like you might think somebody hates you. They think you hate them. Like there's, you know. And it's all made up. Yeah. Feelings are not facts. Opinions are not facts. Nope. It's so hard to remember that when you're constantly inundated with all of the things. And but I try to remember, like you were saying with your music blog back when you were a kid or even on Flickr. So you put this stuff out there without any kind of expectation or without, you know, hesitation or fear or anything like that. I try to put myself back in that state of mind because I, I, I'm, I'm certain that now there's things that I, I'm like holding myself back just because I'm overthinking it in a way that I wouldn't have when I was 15. Yeah, that's such a thing. I feel like if you ever want me to look at something and tell you <laughs> if, some, if it's good for public consumption... That's like my bread and butter. That's what I did for Adam all the time. He'd be like, hey, should I debut my girlfriend to the internet? And I'd be like, nah. (laughs) And then they'd break up. (laughs) That only (laughs) happened one time. But like just, you know, having somebody that you can rely on whose opinion you actually value, I think can help you move past that. I'm sure you have lots. (laughs) I am very glad you mentioned that because there is something specific I want to run by you offline because you would be a great person to gauge the viability of this idea, I think. I'm excited. Um, yeah. Well, that's probably a good uh, a good place for us to wrap this up. Any parting words of wisdom or anything that uh, you would like to add for the world? I would say do what you love, follow your passions, be a good person, and... Live, laugh, know. love. Live, I was just going to say, like, laugh. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Tell dumb jokes. <laughs> don't be afraid to be yourself. And right. try lots of new things. <laughs> Where can people find you? Ooh, they can find me on Instagram at Kelly Mason or my website's kellymason.me. You can find my Twitter, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for uh, being on the podcast and hope to see you soon once the world 
goes back to normal. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me, Finn. I'll talk to you soon. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Grey Street.